has become a trend of late for some of our television networks to run public service announcements emphasizing children. One of them actually conclude with words like, uh, put children first, or children must come first. And everybody says, well, isn't that great? I'm not really sure. You say, wait a minute. How come any emphasis on children could not be just good? Because their emphasis and the philosophy that's underpinning their emphasis is wrong. That's why. It is wrong because they say that children and how they feel about themselves is more important than anything else. So you have kids who can't read or write, but as long as they feel good about themselves. (laughs) How can they feel good about themselves? They can add or they can subtract, but that doesn't matter as long as they have a positive self-image. How can they have a positive self-image when they are lousy academically? See, the underpinning philosophy is lousy. It is wrong. And sadly, I want to tell you, there are so many well-meaning churches that have fallen into that trap, that have followed that trend. It's sad. Because when... The emphasis is on pride and not God's glory. We're in trouble. When the emphasis is on our own independence, not our dependence on God, we're in deep trouble. When the emphasis is on believing in the children rather than believing God on behalf of the children, we are really in trouble. I want to tell you something. I looked in the scripture from cover to cover just for this exercise for this week. I have not seen anywhere in the scripture the Bible said make kids feel good about themselves. I have not found anywhere said the most important thing about kids is self-esteem. I have not found anything that's the most important things about children is that they have a positive self-image. But I'll tell you what I found out. I found out that parents have been asked by God to instruct their children in the word of God. I found that the parents are instructed by God to teach the children the truth about God and the truth about the facts of history. I've seen over and over again that this is the instruction of the Word of God to parents. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when kids are instructed in the Word of God and when parents do their job in bringing up children in the fear and nurture of the Lord, they're going to feel good about themselves. We emphasize all these good things, quote unquote. (laughs) And we end up with guns and violence in schools. We end up with immorality in schools. Simply because we are denying reality. And reality is that the horse has to come first, not the cart. Believing God on behalf of your children, on behalf of your family, is what I want to talk about today. I know This is an important message. I know that the devil did not want me to preach this message, and I won't bore you with the details. But I believe with all my heart on the authority of God's word, that the reason we have a crisis of faith regarding our families is because we have placed our confidence in the right techniques. We have placed our confidence on the right methodology. We have placed our confidence on the right programs. There is nothing wrong with these. 
I am not criticizing them willy-nilly. The question for all of us is this. Do we believe God for our children and for our families? Or do we put our faith in technology? Do we persevere in faith on behalf of our families? Or would you run around looking for a formula, looking for a secret of success, looking for a pill that's going to make your kids turn out to be okay? So if you look at John chapter 4, Beginning at verse 46, you're going to find an example of a father. He did not know much. Did not understand a great deal about Jesus. He did not comprehend quite a bit, actually. But he had one thing going for him. He had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man's faith on behalf of his son is recorded here in the Word of God, in the Scripture, for all generations to read and to learn from it. This man's believing on behalf of his family is recorded in the words of the Scripture as a model for all fathers and all mothers. This man's persistence in prayer on behalf of his family and behalf of his son is a reminder for all fathers and for all mothers to remind us again the way God responds to this type of faith. This father, and I looked at this passage quite a bit, incredible faith, incredible faith that he believed on behalf of his family, in the way he believed on behalf of his family. In fact, it really is a, quite a contrast with a father that I heard about some time ago who was a faithless father, a skeptic, who did not believe in anything. But he had a son, a teenage son, who was a believer. And one day his son came back from church, and sarcastically and cynically, the father asked the son, he said, Now, son, what did you learn at church? This was a bright teenager. Here's what he said to his dad. He said, Dad, we've learned that Moses went behind enemy's line to rescue the Jews from Pharaoh. In fact, Moses asked the engineers to build a pontoon bridge. And the people crossed over. And after they crossed over, he sent bombers behind the scene to blow up the bridge. And then the Egyptian tanks were coming, and he was just kept going, and Father stopped him. He said, no, no, stop. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, why are you taking me for a fool? He said, did he really say it that way? And the boy said, no. But if I told you what he said, you would never believe it. <laughs> That's a contrast to this nobleman, this, this cabinet officer of King Herod's court. That's what his job was. He was in the cabinet. He, he was a very high government official. Listen to what the philosopher Kierkegaard said. He said, it is so hard to believe because it is so hard to obey. That's the bottom line. When it comes to believing God for your family, it takes a faith that refuses to quit. It takes a faith that will never give up. It takes a faith that is willing to trust God for His promises for the family, regardless of the circumstances. It takes a faith that takes God at His word, no matter what the evidence looks like. It takes a faith that persists regardless of the appearances. Listen to what a godly poet in these words. He said, pray on 
when rough and dark your pathway and you cannot see the light. When every spark of hope has vanished and bright day has turned into night. Pray on, for God does surely hear you, noting well each sent request. Pray then in faith, truly believing that he always gives what is best. This man, this nobleman, this this high government official came to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, he came as a result of a crisis faith. That's what I call crisis faith. Faith that is born out of a crisis. But that did not stop there. Ultimately, it became a contagious faith. Because true faith does not stay still. He believed in Jesus out of desperation. But then he developed a life of faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine with me. This man's faith is like a five-step ladder that you're climbing on. Step one, two, three, four. It is really a progressive stepping stone going up to the penthouse, if you like. Step number one, it was a crisis faith. Write them down in your Bibles. God does not get mad at you if you write them down. He loves you for it. Write in your Bible, underline it, mark it. That's what it's supposed to be there for. The second step, it was a continuing faith. Then the third step is a confident faith. The fourth step, it was a confirmed faith. And ultimately, it became the fifth step is a contagious faith. Very often, faith begins or born out of a crisis. It's okay. God uses a crisis in your life and in my life to birth a baby faith. Just like a crisis in the mother's labor as she is expecting her baby. I've been through that four times in the last quarter of a century. We'd be sitting in peace with apodural and all the other breathing stuff and everything else. But then it comes a moment of crisis. Get the doctor. Everybody's ready. Why? Because from that crisis, a beautiful baby is about to be born. And God does the same thing in our lives. God uses crises in our lives in order to birth simple faith. Sometimes it's immature faith. It's all right. God understands. He doesn't want you to be a spiritual giant overnight as long as you're making baby steps. So in John chapter 4, look at verse 46 and 47. This nobleman or the government official, cabinet official from King Herod's palace... He comes to Jesus in desperation. He was desperate. And he just cries out to the Lord Jesus. And he is not about to give up until he gets his prayer answered. You know, he reminds me of the kid that the Sunday school teacher one time said to him. He said, now, young man, do you pray every night? He said, yes, sir, I pray every night. He said, well, do you pray every morning? He said, no, sir, because I ain't afraid during the daylight. (laughs) I mean, this is what we're seeing here. This man is in absolute desperation, so he comes to Jesus in that condition. This member of King Herod's cabinet could have afforded all the medicine that money can buy. But this crisis in his family, this illness of his son, was beyond human help. 
It was an impossibility for medicine. It's an impossibility for doctors. It is impossibilities for medicine to work in this condition. It is a crisis faith. And when that faith was born, it was a baby faith. And when that baby faith was born, soon gave way to continuing faith. The Bible said he implored Jesus to come and heal his son. I don't want to get too much in the details because i got enough to tell you here without getting back in the, in the details where they're coming up or coming down geographically and all those things that, that, that theologians love to delight into. It doesn't make a bit of difference to us. In fact, one translation said this man besought Jesus. I looked it up in the original language. What it really means, it's a, it's a clear indication of this man's persistence and persistence and persistence in his request. In fact, it is in the continuous tense. He is continuously asking the Lord Jesus. And then on the surface, you look at Jesus' response and said, what well, is he rebuffing him? No. He's testing him, yes, but not rebuffing him. In fact, Jesus was speaking more to the unbelieving crowd than this faithful, faith-filled father. Listen literally to what he said. Some of the translation you have says that. Verse 48. Unless you people, it's in the plural. He was talking to these people who were running with Jesus, seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. They were following like his shadow, but they wouldn't believe. And he was fed up with them. And he turns to them and he said, you people... (laughs) Unless you see miraculous signs and wonders all the time, you will not believe. Beloved friends, please hear me right. This is very important. I am, and if I start going, I'll I'll get choked up. I can't even talk. I am the recipient of so many blessings and miracles in my life that I literally can't count them. With that understanding, listen to what I'm going to tell you. There are Christians who want a miracle a minute. And if they don't get a miracle a minute, they are in the spiritual dumps. There are people out there who are so addicted to so-called miracles, false or otherwise, that they cannot relate to God. In normal circumstances. Let me tell you something important. All the miracles in the world never produces Holiness in life. Obedience does. There were these people from Galilee who followed Jesus. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Their heart was as hard as a stone. Somebody said, if you really want to increase your faith, you must consent to the testing of faith. And here Jesus was testing this man. He really was. He was testing him. He wanted to know. Is this just faith for a desperate need? Or is it a faith that is for good? He's testing this man. Is it temporary faith? Or is it permanent faith? Is it fleeting faith? Or is it a continuing faith? Listen again very carefully please. Believing God for your family must move from crisis faith to a continuing faith. Otherwise, there's something wrong with your faith. Believing in God for your family. Not just when your family is in a crisis. Not just when your family is in trouble. But 
daily, continuously, believing God, trusting God. Not just when you need a way out of difficulties in life, but consistently believing the God who promised and believing the promises of God on behalf of your family. This nobleman's crisis faith gave way to continuing faith, and therefore it developed into a confident faith. John chapter 4, verse 50. Mark it again in your Bible. Jesus replied, he said, you may go, your son will live. What happened? The man believed the words of Jesus that he spoke, and he went on his way. Isn't that full of simplicity? Okay. Now, you've got to read something a little below, stuck away there, that unless you really look for it, you miss it. See, confident faith takes God at his word. Confident faith trusts God even when you cannot see evidence. Confident faith does not doubt in the dark what God has already revealed in the light. Doubt is the enemy of faith. I want to make a statement, and I want you to listen carefully, please. Doubt attacks every one of us. Every one of us. You say, you mean you get it? Oh, you better believe I get attacked all the time. Are you kidding When I get up in the morning, I'm not attacked. There's something wrong. And if I go to the end of the day and there's nothing really, there's no attack from the enemy, I begin to worry. Because you see, the enemy, if I'm walking with him, you know, we walk in the same direction. He's not attacking me. But if I'm walking against him and I'm walking in the opposite direction, he's going to try his hardest. So the enemy who brings you doubt, doubt constantly needs to be weeded out. Weeds need to be uprooted on a daily basis. Don't let them grow on. Because they're going to take roots and they become difficult to pull out. But you grow the grass of God (laughs) through the grace of God and you get rid of that weed. Pull them out on a daily basis. You know, there are some people in the so-called liberal church I've heard some of those sanctimonious folks who get up and say, you know, doubt is only human. Doubt should be embraced. Yes, talk funny, don't they? This kind of <laughs> holy language. I've never mastered that, you know. You notice that? I can't pray the way, the, oh, mighty God. You know, I just <laughs> talk to God. Oh, daddy, I'm in trouble. Help me, you know. Thank God, always my English was bad, so I'm, I'm doing okay. In my very early church, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but very early church, back in Sydney, Australia, 27 years ago, this lady came out after I prayed, and she said, uh, young man, um, do you know how many grammatical mistakes have you made when, in your prayer? I said, lady, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Doubt. Is only human. Doubt should be embraced. Doubt should be accepted as just fact of life. <laughs> Listen to what James said about those who allow doubt to grow in. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he said, A double-minded person is unstable in all that he does. I didn't say it. James did. James is saying that those who embrace doubt are double-minded people. How do you then eradicate this termite of doubt that is constantly trying to undermine the foundation of faith? Three things, very quickly. 
First of all, develop a big vision for a big God. Until your vision about God is right and the bigness of God, you're going to have trouble. Secondly, very quickly, exercise faith. Don't just live on the faith of others. Don't try to live on the faith of yesterday. Develop daily faith, daily walk. Exercise your own faith. Test God's words. Take God at His promise and see what God can do. Someone said something that really, I love it. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have their own. Number two, use it regularly. (laughs) Number three, you should never use somebody else's. I say amen to that. Third thing, have someone to walk with you the walk of faith. You cannot do it alone. Crisis faith, when it gives way to continuing faith, it will develop into a confident faith. But then you will find that confident faith becomes A confirmed faith. This member of Herod's court believed God for his family. He trusted Jesus' word. And therefore, it became confirmed later on. Remember I said there's something down there in that passage below that uh, tucked away that you would not notice it if you don't really dig for it? I deliberately lift this up in the air, so make you think, what is it? Some of you maybe have discovered it already. When he was talking to his servants, they said, yesterday. (laughs) Such as such happened yesterday. Yesterday, what happened? When Jesus said, your son is healed, this man didn't go home. He said, I better go and find out. Is he really telling me the truth? No, no, no. He went on. He went on. He spent the night somewhere else. He slept like a baby. In fact, even in a strange bed. (laughs) He didn't go home the same day. Why? Because he knew that in this confident faith, it will sooner or later be confirmed. (laughs) Hello. You with me? Sooner or later, God will confirm it. You just keep on trusting him. Ted DeMoss, one of great... One-on-one evangelist, a great businessman from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He tells the story of how one day he went to do business with a man who was in his house. This man was in his 70s. And in the course of conversation, Ted could never talk about business without bringing Jesus into the conversation. He shared Christ with this man. And this man goes on his knees and he said, yeah, I want to receive Christ in my life right now. He said, boy, that's easy. And then after they prayed, he said, uh, he said, man, I can't wait to tell my mother. His mother? This man is 75. <laughs> he got into the kitchen. And here is this precious lady in her 90s. She had prayed for her son for 70-some years to receive Christ. And it took that long. She never failed. She never failed in trusting God. She never failed. She never gave up praying. Without seeing evidence, she kept on praying. Without seeing results, she kept on praying. How many times have you and I given up? Do you have an unbelieving spouse? Do you have an unbelieving father? Do you have an unbelieving mother? Do you have an unbelieving child? Do you have an unbelieving grandchild? Let me tell you something. God has a purpose for your unbelieving children. God has a covenant with families. Does the devil come to you constantly and say, stop praying for them? Does he come in and bring doubt into your life and say, forget about praying for them? Nothing is going to happen. 
Tell them, I have a covenant with God. Tell them that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14, 15, and 16, God made a promise that when one person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, that God has a purpose for that whole family. If God, before the age of grace and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, heard the prayers of Abraham, when he interceded for such a rascal as his nephew Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, if God heard his prayer of intercession, will he not hear your believing faith in him on behalf of your family? Friends, let me tell you something. If Solomon messed up royally, (laughs) and God said to him, I am blessing you because of David. And if God blesses Solomon because of David, will he not bless your forebear because of your faithful prayer and intercession for them? When this nobleman came home, they said the servants came to meet him. You know, because I have somewhat first-hand experience of that culture, I can tell you, I'm convinced in my own mind, they probably went out that day, and they thought he's going to come back that day, but he didn't. I bet they stayed out at the city gate all night, (laughs) waiting for him to come back. What's wrong with him? Where is he? I mean, he needs to come and see what's happening here. And then they probably were arguing among themselves. And I got to tell him. No, no, no. I got to tell him. Now let me tell him. You know, I mean, they were just literally couldn't wait to tell him. He's not going to believe it. This is incredible good news. He's just not going to believe what we're going to tell him. So he comes in. And as soon as they see him, they jump up and down and said, boss, let me tell you. Mr. Cool customer looks at them and he says, uh, when did this happen? Boss, who cares when it happened? We want you to know. Aren't you excited? Does it really matter when it happened? Oh, yes, it does. It does matter when it happened. Because it was not a coincidence. Because it was not just a happenstance. Because it was not just an accident. Because it must have happened the very moment that Jesus said, Go home, your son is living. When a crisis of faith becomes... Continuous faith and develops into a confident faith. It produces confirmed faith. But naturally and ultimately, it has to be a contagious faith. You see, if it does not become a contagious faith, there's something wrong with that faith. If you're keeping it a secret, there's something wrong, not in the faith itself, or not in the object of faith, which is the Lord but in the container of faith. Because that faith has to be a contagious faith. You have to spread the germs of faith. Look at verse 53. When the nobleman confirmed the healing of his son, the Bible said, he and all his household believed. In the West, because we have developed this rugged individualism, because that culture of, of, of individualism, not individuality, but individualism, because that has become such an important part of our culture, what, what have we done? We took that into our faith. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe every individual is responsible for his or her faith. Everyone will give an account for their own life. But nonetheless, there is biblical culture. There is biblical teaching that is called household faith. And we tend to ignore that and we tend to move away from that because of the culture, not because of the scripture. If I know anything about the scripture, if I understand anything about the covenant making God, if I understand anything about the covenant in the scripture from both cover to cover, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is this, that God works with families. That God wants to work in families. That God blesses whole families. That God deals with families. That God wants whole families to follow Him in worship. And that is why we must believe God for our family. You see, our faith is not this kind of blind stupidity. No, 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 no. Our faith is based on a promise. And in the promise of God, that as I understand it, that when one comes to the kingdom, somehow the rest of the family is sanctified. That means they somehow, in the economy of God, God has a purpose for them. And because of God's word, we believe it. We trust him for it. Throughout the book of Acts, we see one incident after another. I can give you but three of them that literally stare at me in the face. In chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Cornelius, the very first Gentile to become a Christian. The Bible said when he believed the words of the apostle Peter, he and his whole household believed and were baptized. In the book of Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, some of you might remember when he was about to commit suicide and Paul said, don't. The Bible said that he and his whole household believed and they were baptized. And then again in Acts 16, Lydia, the smart businesswoman in Philippi. The Bible said when she believed, she and her whole household believed and were baptized. God wants us to believe him for our families. Shall we pray? We are sorry. For the doubt. We're sorry we gave up too soon. We said we did not continue to believe in faith for our families. Forgive us. We want to say to the Lord, Father, give us the strength, power, and the faith to believe your word, to take you at your word, to trust your promises every single day on behalf of our families. For Father, Our confidence is in you. Our trust is in you. You are the God who never go back on your word. It is us who give up too soon. Strengthen us today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.